City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Welcome. 3CR Breakfast Radio meets the people. So come along to 3CR Sustainable Breakfast Series. Broadcast live from Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. Join us for breakfast tasties at Friends of the Earth 312 Smith Street, Collingwood, or tune in to 3CR to hear what people are doing in the area of sustainability. From Tuesday, March the 15th to Friday, March the 18th. Starts at 7am, goes through to 8.30am. Come down, watch a live show. Every show will have a musician and it's a fantastic initiative by 3CR and Friends of the Earth. Supported by Yarra Council. Good morning and that was David Rovix with Landlord. Seems like uh, he doesn't like landlords that much. No, it doesn't, and um, it's very appropriate, of course, and you paid it for that reason, I know, uh, because today is our housing day on City Limits. Yes, it is. And April break from the Housing for the Aged Action Group will be coming in. I'm Kevin, by the way, and you're Corey, aren't you? That's right. Still? Yeah, that's still. right. I'm still Kevin. Um, some people say Kevin still or something. Anyway, um, the and uh, yeah, so April's going to come in. I guess one of the things this week we're going to talk about is this whole debate around negative gearing, and, and when you look at the amount of money that goes in negative gearing to the mostly to the rich the mm. super rich even though they keep trying to argue it's really for the poor they should you know shouldn't do anything with it um that money would build a hell of a lot of public housing i would have thought mm. i would have thought anyway we'll... i mean it is for the poor it's just for the all the poor people mm. you know will greatly benefit from it once they can buy their first house and their second and their third. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and all the others. Speaking Which of isn't poor, much of a possibility in Melbourne these days. No, 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 we'll get to that. But speaking of poor, I'm going to pour the tea. Ah, excellent. Now, excellent. a terrible disaster almost happened. You you alerted me. I, I We were sitting here listening to that, and I just 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 picked up the pot and started pouring. And I, you said, hang on, you're pouring. And I had it, I put it back in the pot. So yep. here we go. We'll now pour up here. Much better. Much better. And in case anyone's wondering about visuals, Kevin's had his yearly haircut. Yes, and <laughs> the annual. And, and someone pointed out to me last week that I shouldn't talk while pouring because you can't hear it as clearly. So that's why I went uh, silent then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the greatest moment of our yeah. show, pretty much. Well, I, probably people prefer the tea pouring to us talking. That's the, <laughs> that's the inference, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's why most people tune in. Oh, no. oh just have a oh. sip of it. Yes. Here we go. Now, um... So we'll get round to that. Now, we were going to have in the first half, um, because of the decision on or Monday, the, the Royal Commission, so-called, into nuclear energy in South Australia came down with its report, mm. predictably. And, uh, in fact, going back to when it was mooted or when it, when it was set up in the first place, we talked to Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation, their, their, their anti-nuclear campaigner, who predicted exactly what I was going to say. And I spoke to him yesterday and he said, yeah, I'm looking for my original press release because we just have to put it out again. Um, 
And uh, he was coming on today to talk about that, but unfortunately he's got an, another appointment all day, and he, which goes, he's got a meeting that goes all day. But he is coming on next week, so it's our fourth Wednesday, and so most of next week we'll talk to Dave about all this because there's lots of issues. Um, there was also a, we've talked about it on this program, the disaster that's happening at MacArthur River in the Northern Territory mm. um, with the uh, mine up there, the... What they call Glen Thingo Mine? Um, what's the company called again? Glencore Extrata. Glen, Glen Glencore, yeah, Glencore. Yeah, um, and it's a copper and mine. zinc mine. Yeah, um, and the, you know they a few years ago they redirected the river, even though they in the court case the local people won, the local indigenous people won the case. The governments, federal and state, then went away and changed the law. And in the, the middle of the night. Yes, and allowed them to. Um, but there was a very good. Um, sometimes there is a very good, not always, a very good background briefing on Radio National last weekend mm-hmm. uh, on this very issue about mm-hmm. Glencore and the damage to the environment up there, etc. So mm-hmm. we can have a yarn about that with Dave as well. So next week, Dave Sweeney, that's that's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you wanted to say before I rave into a number of things? So no, I, please I was go hoping ahead. you'd say something so I could just have a sip of tea, really. To, uh, All right. Uh, say, um, you're listening yeah. to City Limits on... Three Sarah, and the time is nine oh nine. Very good, well said, beautifully said. That beautifully said, Corey. Thank you. Um, there's there's a bloke called uh, Philip Bart. Philip Bart, not no relation, I hope, to Lionel Bart, who wrote Oliver, uh, the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he uh, he ran the uh, Brucks, the Bruck Textile Technologies Mill in Wangaratta, and it was liquefied in July 2014. And reopened uh, as Australian Textile Mills uh, in July 2014. In fact, the very next day. Oh. The very next day, yes. A different name. And it bought the assets of the previous company for a (laughs) dollar. Now, he's gone to... um, He's currently um, being looked at in the federal court um, because the redundancies that weren't paid, the federal government then had to pay the 60 workers' redundancies under its entitlements guarantee scheme Mm. um, for poor old uh, Thingo. And the Senate Senate committee heard last week Mr Bart would be quizzed about his role at a liquidator's public examination instigated by the Australian Securities and Investments Commission to probe what occurred in Bruck's final days. In the federal court, Peter Kalevsky for the liquidator asked Costa Nicodemu of insolvency firm BRI Ferrier about advice sought before the liquidation. It was put to you that Mr Bart and co-director Mr Jeff Parker wanted to continue to run the business but with less employees. Mm. Nicodemu, yes. Kalevsky, they wanted to come up with a way in which they could continue to run the business without the heavy redundancy liabilities. Nicodemu, yes. And he said he agreed Bruck had found a way to keep the best parts of the business but dump a restrictive pay deal. Hmm. And that's where it now lies. I guess it'll keep developing. But uh, that's the sort of morality you get with employers in this world. Well, if that's morality, then I think that could be a morality tale. And the moral of the story is if you want to run a profitable business, don't pay your workers. That's right. But that gets in the way, doesn't it? The biggest... No, well, why no wages are a big impediment to profit. I mean, there's no mm. question of that. And mm. They really, and this shows where unions and workers are so selfish. Mm. Yeah, in many ways. Definitely. Yeah. Certainly so. And of course, just this week on Monday, no, well, yes, it was Monday, um, another worker fell 20 metres to his death on a building site um, here in Melbourne. 50, what a way to go. 54 year old, apparently he was 
very well known in the CFMEU. Really? At, um, it hasn't, doesn't name him yet. I don't know why, but maybe it's in today's paper. This was yesterday's. Um, he was working at a building site for a new $50 million 20-storey apartment complex in Carlton. Mm. Um, and Gerard Ayres, Dr. Gerard Ayres, the safety manager for the union, said it was a terrible tragedy. Well, that's understating it almost. This highlights the inherent dangers and hazards, well, the usual things. But, um, you know, yet again, we've got um, union officials who have taken action over safety issues being fined billions and still being taken to court by Grocon and Borrell and all these other people and the Royal Commission, of course, saying they're all crooks because they... They apparently blackmail bosses over safety issues by mm. demanding safety. Mm. Um, but there's no real inquiries into this sort of thing, is there? And in fact, governments and industry have resisted for years any attempts other than in New South Wales, where it was watered down eventually anyway, to make deaths on building sites like that murder or not murder, but manslaughter and uh, and involve jail sentences that, uh, mm. yeah, that ought to really go. In Australia, is a corporation considered a person? Yes. So, yes. therefore, that's a person murdering another person? Yes, yes. Manslaughtering, I think. Yeah, manslaughtering. Manslaughtering. Yeah, well, you couldn't say murder, could you? They, wouldn't deliberately, they don't deliberately kill workers. They just deliberately don't spend money on safety. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounds like quite a big development. What did you say, $20 million? Um, yeah, I think I said 50, didn't I? Oh. Let's have another look. 50 million, yeah. 50, 50, million. 50 million, 20 story. So, yeah. Yeah, right. So it sounds like they probably didn't have anything left over for, you know, ropes and... No, well, it, it, the air said he was sitting on the platform drilling some holes, trying to get some steel ready to be put in, and that temporary platform has given way and he has fallen off approximately 20 metres and hasn't survived. Yes. So there you are. And just on that, and, and it, I wasn't going to mention this, but it just reminded of it, um, it says here that the... He's, obviously his workmates tried resuscitating before the emergency services arrived. In America, you might recall the young kid who was shot, um, he produced a toy pistol or something and oh, the copper yeah, shot the 12 him. 12-year-old, Tamir yeah, Rice. Yeah, the kid, that's Tamir Rice. Um, he, well, the latest, have you heard the latest development? It's extraordinary over there. No. Well, well in the, we knew in the interim the copper who shot him uh, an inquiry deemed the copper had no case to answer. He was completely guiltless. So it was obviously the kid's fault, even though the kid was totally unarmed and the copper just went bang and shot him and killed him. Mm. Well, now the state has sent, because uh, they sent an ambulance to, um, and, and and they tried to resuscitate him, but he was already dead anyway, and mm. they, as they took him off in the ambulance to the hospital. They've sent the family the bill for the ambulance oh. and the resuscitation attempts. Um, Did it? Extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, even by their standards. Wow. And, uh, in American terms, the bill would be, extra, be very high, I would think. Didn't uh, the um, copper also prevent Tamir Rice's sister from trying to resuscitate him? Um, I can't recall that, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 But yeah, they've sent him the bill. That's pretty. Oh, it's, it just shows. Well, that's, you know, it's capitalism. You've got to, if you live in capitalist society, you've got to live by the rules. Yeah. An American. Health capitalist society. Is there society. a rule in capitalism about not randomly shooting children? Ah, uh, oh, well, no, not a, not necessarily. But I mean, it, it wasn't random. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah. It was a white copper and a black yeah, child. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're so right. it was normal. It's not random. Yeah. Mm, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. True. So yeah. Anyway, they've sent on the bill. Um, and speaking of workers and how they're going to survive, uh, this um, this conference. 
um, and a bloke from Cornell University in the US of, um, they've warned the serious prospect of mass unemployment among everyone from drivers to sex workers, triggered by rapid strides in the development of artificial intelligence and robotics. And um, and it's one of the story. The story goes on and on, but it's about how, in fact, they're going to take over virtually everything. And they say society needs to confront this question before it is upon us. If machines are capable of doing almost any work humans can do, what will humans do? A typical answer is that we will be free to pursue leisure activities, but I do not find the prospect of leisure-only life appealing. I believe work is essential, etc., etc. But I think the more important point at that time is if you've got all that leisure time, how are you going to survive without an income? Mm. Um, which is the critical point, mm. uh, as they as they take more and more jobs away, and then um, it, it creates a real problem. And by going back when I was young, and technology much even much more you know non much more basic technology than we've got now was coming in. Mm. Uh, we talked about the fact that you could have leisure. Um, people would have more and more leisure, and how they could use it. And and in fact, we talked about using your leisure for much more. You know, for your own activities, for society, societal type activities, for art, for all sorts of things. For, and you know, even for some things that um, robots can't do, for example, raising your children. Well, raising your children. That's right. So all those things. Um, but of course, that was predicated on the fact that even though you'd have more leisure, everyone would work a certain number of hours and get a livable income mm. uh, and share the workload. So everyone would only need to do a few hours a week to produce what was needed for society. But in fact, we've gone the other way. More and more technology, people, those who have got jobs are working longer and longer. Mm. And it's all just blown up because of, because, well, if it wasn't for capitalism, in a, in a, in a non-capitalist society, you could do it well. Mm. But of course, as long as capitalism survives, there's a problem in there. People talk about, you know, Keynesianism as a uh, solution to neoliberalism. So the idea of, of um, John Keynes was basically, you know, living wage, uh, the, the state provides your basic needs, healthcare, mm. that sort of thing, but it was still a capitalist system. But, you know, the reason that people are working these longer hours is because it's cheaper to hire a person for 60 hours, say, than to hire two people for 30 hours each and give them both health insurance and weekends off and double days and all that sort of thing. So everything good that's been fought for, you know, capitalism has to has to find a way to make their profit somehow. So yes. so then they make the one worker work extraordinary hours and the the other worker work, you know, no hours and have nothing. It's just yeah, it's just so upsetting. You know, it, it doesn't seem to me like there can be any any compromise with capitalism. Well, they can't. That's right. Yes, and, mm. uh, and and in fact, of course, this problem of robots, etc., and you know, less people that they rub their heads and say, "Oh, now we like down the war because they're using robots and much less workers, etc." Oh, yeah. um, that that where's the money? I mean, they, they they we moved from slavery to wage slavery because they realised people needed some money to buy the goods being produced. Mm. Uh, I mean, as the industrial revolution took hold. Uh, now you're going in reverse. If people haven't got money because they're not working because robots are doing the job, where's the money to buy the goods to circulate, etc., etc.? So they're going to they're, they're they're digging their own graves in some ways, and they're going to have to find they will they'll they'll find a solution which will still exploit workers no end no doubt, mm. but nonetheless they they have to find a solution to that problem. And well, you sort of end up with this ridiculous situation where they they then get money out of taxes. Um, you know, to subsidise their business. 
So, you know, that's that's where the money's coming from. I mean, but, the, you know, there's no taxes if they don't collect taxes off of workers who are working. Mm. I mean, they could, take, you know, collect taxes off of businesses, but oh. businesses don't like that. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> they don't like that a bit. Yeah, I thought you said. <laughs> oh, good God. No, 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 but, no, but, it, no. But, but it's sort of like a communist model for businesses and a capitalist model for individual workers. Yep. That's right. Was yeah. the, the old saying about farmers for years, you know, they capitalise their profits and socialise their losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we are. Now in the and distance the- from the mic, I'm going to pour some. I'll hold it up so people might be able to hear that. Yes, they can, I'm sure they can. can they, reckon they can hear that? Drop yeah. Yeah, good, good, good. Okay. There we are. Yeah, and yeah. then the, you know, and then the um, businesses are, you know, screaming blue murder if uh, the workers get <laughs> get anything. Yeah, meanwhile, they're, they're living off this you know, communist daydream. Yeah. Well, this week, in fact, um, Kate Carnell, who speaks for the Chamber of Commerce, or one of the Chambers of Profits, Mm. uh, who's just been appointed the the small business ombudsman, so she must be just seeing out her time and the other job, Mm. Uh, Kate. But uh, just a few weeks ago, it was suggested that if if business wanted to have its taxes cut, maybe there should be a trade-off where a lot lot of the... Uh, corporate welfare, capitalist welfare, was cut, and mm. the grants and the subsidies they can claim, etc., were cut. So there was some sort of balance, and they screamed and yelled. And I, I remember on it's the week, radical, I quoted it? one bloke on the week that was because he said, "Look, you, we don't want a system that takes with one gives with one hand and takes with the other." And of course, the quote we used was, "We want a system that gives with the one hand and gives with the other." Yeah. Um, and um, but but this week. Kate, who said corporate welfare shouldn't be touched, has recommended ways of government saving money by slashing welfare for the less well-off. So, mm. uh, so they do seem to they they have got an attitude. At least they think welfare should be cut. It's just just a matter of which welfare you cut. Yes, yes, it's a ma- definitely a matter of which welfare you cut. Yeah. And if they cut, uh, you know, Australia's welfare system anymore, God knows how people will survive. Yeah, it's already at the, uh, you know, New Start's already at the eating out of bins sort mm. of level. Well, yeah, it's $37 a day. I heard that on the radio in the last couple of days. Yeah. An interview with Cassandra Goldie from uh, from ACOS. And then housing's uh, a good, what, $30 a day? Well, well um, probably, yeah, well, I was going to raise that because in, just in the file today when April comes in, the, the, they reckon the average rent in Melbourne now is four fifty or something a week. And that's almost the equivalent of your weekly, of your, it's more than the equivalent of your weekly dole, because the dole's, yeah. Okay, what's what's four fifty divided by seven? Uh, oh, um, four fifty divided seven. by seven is sixty five or something like that. That area. What? About sixty five. Sixty five a, a day. Yeah. So, and then you're getting thirty seven a day on yeah, your. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit dole. difficult to survive, really. Yeah. So yeah. that's not only eating out of bins, but also, yeah, just not having housing. <laughs> no. It's pretty grim. Yep. So uh, that's it. But, uh, but look, a positive. What a positive story. This is, oh, I love um, a positive story. No, well, it's a bit depressing on this program to have a positive story, but yeah. let's try it. Um, we've been talk. We've talked for years. We interviewed people going back years when it was first being closed, etc. But the um, the the Ballard Maroop. Uh, Indigenous College up in Glenroy 
um, has at least uh, been saved for the time being, which is good because, you know, mm. the government wanted to sell the property and then it was going to give a little bit to people and break it up and have developers come in on this public land, etc., etc. And then blame mm. Indigenous kids for not having a good enough education. That's right, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, well, it's it's been... Uh, it's now... Um, being put off until a a settlement claim is heard. The Wurundjeri people have lodged a um, a settlement claim on the property, and they reckon they take up to three years to be resolved. So, and the government says it won't act until it is resolved, one way or the other. So, it's probably at least got a three year breathing space to um, to try and keep saving it. So, um, that's not that's 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 a reasonably good news, I would have thought. So, the government's actually motivated to finish one of these claims once. Well, it might push it forward because that's the only danger. That's right. But, it, but it, at this stage, it looks like it's been saved for a while, fair while. Um, and, of course, there's been um, you know, the, 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 all sorts of groups, including the local council, that's been fighting to have it saved and handed over. And it's one of those usual things where it's already in public hands, but you've got the public purse wanting the council and the community to pay heaps and heaps of money. And if they can't, then it'll go to private developers hmm. rather than saying, well, it's already public. Why don't we just give it to them or... Mm. Much more token. I mean, the Crown Casino is on land they get for a peppercorn rental. Hmm. Um, Didn't know that. Why can't they give? Um, and so is Flemington Racecourse, for instance. Um, you know, that's, that's Crown land, peppercorn rental. So when the elite are having a wonderful time during Cup Week, you can think, well, they're doing that at a peppercorn rental for our land, um, or Her Most Gracious Majesty's land, perhaps. Mm. So, yes, <laughs> I think the only people who can say it's our land are the people who were displaced when we lobbed. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so so uh, why not? That's what I say. Why not? All right, Kevin, shall we go to a track? Let's go to a track. Let's go to a track. Um, so you're listening to Sue Limits on 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au. Time's 9.25 and we're going to hear from Infinite Void with Even Ground. And you're listening to 3CR, 3cr.org.au, 3CR855. AM and that was Infinite Void with Even Ground and we have April Bragg on the line. Hi April. Hi Corey, how are you? Hi Kevin, how are you? Oh, all right, April, April, I thought you were coming in. You've landed up on the telephone. Uh, yeah, no, defeated by traffic. Oh, <laughs> right. All right. Gridlock in Ballarat Road, turn around. <laughs> Best do it by phone. So I hope the line's okay. We were just telling some public transport stories during the thing, so obviously both public transport and roads are a disaster. <laughs> yeah, let me let me tell you about public transport out in the the west as well. People said, "Oh, well, you know, public transport, catch that," and you go, "Yeah, well, <laughs> it's um generally driving to to work." I see people outside multiple stations on. Um, with replacement buses and oh, yeah. whole ranges sitting in traffic as well. So it's amazing mm. anyone gets anywhere. Yeah, it's a bit, and the Geelong line, I assume, is still running buses rather than trains most of the time, is it, down there as well? Do you know? Yeah, I, I think um, Yeah, I, I think I saw those as well. So, um, but, but, but again, just thought we were all sitting, <laughs> sitting in traffic. So, mm. um, but um, the Werribee line in, in particular is um, it, it must have at least um, fifty over fifty percent, well fifty percent cancellations every morning. Wow! Oh, and I heard um, because they put in the new station out at um, Manor Lakes, which is sort of at the back of Wyndham, mm. and um, I heard some people calling into the radio station um, the other morning saying that they um, went to catch the um, I think it was the quarter. To seven train 
I'm 6.45 um, AM train and actually didn't get on one until 8.30. Ooh. Um, God. That was the, the new improved service. Mm. And then didn't get into town, of course, until after, you know, after their, their starting time at work. So definitely, I mean, if that's one way of doing it for employees to look at sort of staggered hours, if it's not um, disadvantaging people getting home too late to families and stuff. But, mm. Yeah, it certainly can't go on the way that it is. And certainly the schools are, um, certainly in the outer west, um, just because of the amount of kids that are, that are out there and the amount of schools and, um, you know, roads that uh, really aren't suited to carrying you know, buses with large amount of people on them. Um, the schools have staggered hours now purely around public transport. Actually. Really? Right. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. It's and of course, if you go a bit further out to say, or no, no, different road, but if you go about the same way out, distance out, I suppose, to places like Melton, where there's absolutely no public transport effectively, I mean, it's just a yeah. disaster. Yes, yeah. yeah. And even in, um, you know, because they built those estates um, just out Deer Park, um, well, there's Carolyn Springs, which is infamous about, yeah. you know, the problems getting in and out. But over the other side in Derrimish and, um, you know, Traganino, and the closest spot, to there is um, Deer Park and um, I mean that's an electrified um, line but um, it's still the the access to Deer Park Station people have to walk, there's no internal bus systems there yet Hmm. so Mm. and and again that's um, as we know and we said before (laughs) building it in the outer outer um, the reliance on cars One of the, you know, the real problems with that is um, you know, not just that it's annoying, it's, there's like a, a whole huge chunk of the population that can't drive a car, like, yeah, you know, yeah. young people, old people, people with certain disabilities, people who can't afford a car. Like, I think that affordability issue is um, just um, really huge, um, just being someone that's on <laughs> their rego and um, in insur- insurance, it's um, astronomical, but... Um, my granddaughter started driving this this year and um, is on a con- you know has a concession and um, but I mean insurance just even the most basic to you know if you run into some someone else it's um, really pro- prohibitive with the um, cost of registration. Mm. So, um, which, yeah. which again, is, yeah, um, I mean the the cost really of the cost of running a car is is so high these days, and for people on low incomes, and if the further out you live, the more necessary it is to have some sort of vehicle, yeah. Yeah. and you're stuck with the bloody thing. And, and, of course, it also means, and we can't criticise, that often people get cars that are much more polluting because it's best they can afford, and yeah. they've got to have a car, so you can't say they can't have it, but it, also it does it does contribute to the whole pollution problem, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And Emma, for example, said, um, she's um, 21, and um, you know, um, captures public transport and um, you know to to uni and all that stuff. But um, she, you know, <laughs> at an age where we said, look, you really need to be getting some kind of income. Part time work might be good, darling. <laughs> um, but um, where she was able to access it was and, and to fit around uni and stuff was a, was at the night time. And um, and her mother and I, you know, driving around and the, you know, picking her up in the middle of the night, in the, you know, from the eastern suburbs to get back to to the west. And so, in the end, we just thought, well, you know, that's it's the only way that she's going to be able to take up some options that were mm. being um, presented to her. And, um, and 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 when we, you know, looked at public transport, it was um, apart from having real concerns about the safety of that that you know that time of night or at night time. Um, we were quite okay in the inner city area, but um, 
yeah, we um, just, yeah, I, I didn't see any other way really mm. than to assist her with that. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's not. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, that's good because we kick housing day off to a, a usual depressing start. We haven't even mentioned housing yet. <laughs> short of, short of, I suppose there's relationship between housing and outer suburbs and things, but none short yeah. of that, we've kicked it off. But we did say I want to get on to negative gearing shortly, of course. But um, we did mention in our discussion earlier. It might have been. I don't know if you're listening or not, but we mentioned that the and I've found the figure now. The median weekly rent in Melbourne at the end of January was four hundred and $52. Um, now, anyone on any sort of limited income, that's that's effectively impossible, isn't it? Yeah, and particularly for um, people on Newstart or Newstart supplemented with some, some income, um, it's, it's uh, more than their it's more than the benefit, and for our for our for our service and the people that that we're seeing in terms of older people, um, because the um, in particular the Labor Party pushed the um, age pension age, you know, up so much into that late sixties um, category. Uh, people, you know, up up until you know they can be sixty seven, sorry, sixty six, sixty seven before they actually qualify for um, age pension, and having to survive on new staff. Mm. And and often yeah. those people, they, I mean, they would have continued to work, but generally they're not able to work because of some, something's happened. Either they've been retrenched or um, they've had some kind of health problem. And we we all know um, particularly how difficult it is for older people to get back in the workforce on settlers' jobs. So for for anyone to be surviving on you know a, a benefit of two hundred and fifty a week and trying to keep a roof on, over their heads and food and all the rest of it, um, it's um, truly quite unacceptable. Mm. And for women, of course, I mean, it used to be 60 for women and 65 for men, and yeah. it keeps creeping yeah. up. But but 60, um, I, know now it's, I know a friend's turning 65 shortly and um, and is saying, well, then she can go on the pension now. But, but then someone else I know says, well, she can't go on until she's 66 no. or 67 or something. And yeah. I mean, they're, they're making it more and more impossible. And a lot of women in that situation, more than men, I suppose, in many ways, I would find it more difficult to even to even to get work. Yes, that that that's right. That that pushing up of the um, of the pension age has um, truly had such a big impact on on people. And it is that that time by the time that you get to you know your sixties that um, you want to be out working full time. Um, and most people are on ordinary wages, and so a lot of that's just about keeping a, a roof over roof over your head. Really going to work just to to pay the rent, um, we've certainly said to, um, and 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 a lot of those workers are actually caught in a hard place in terms of their housing and particularly um, public housing because they are income ineligible um, for public housing because their their gross wages would be too high. But um, so they really can't apply until you know they have basically until you have basically nothing. Um, and as part of the response that we've put forward to government to, in the prevention of homelessness um, is to um, lift that income eligibility so that people can actually apply, you know, while they're working. And then hopefully by the time they're working, be, you know, um, you know, not that, sorry, not too far down the list in terms of um, waiting for an offer of housing. I mean, there's a whole range of systems that would have to change in that. But there has to be some recognition of, um, you know, if with rents going up, that if all you're doing is um, 
you know, just going out to, to work to pay the rent, that that's really unacceptable at that time of your life. Mm. I remember a couple of years ago talking to a woman who was, you know, literally sleep, sleeping rough, an older woman, you know, eligible for the pension, and they reckon it was two and a half more years until um, she could get housing. Yeah, and people only get housed, and it could be longer depending. Um, if we're talking about public housing, uh, the only way that people actually do get offers of housing is if they're on a um, what's known as the early housing system, um, which would have been the old priority housing system. But there there are far more restrictions now in terms of um, how the old priority housing system works. And so what, what that early housing um, system is... Um, for the highest category, that recognises homelessness. Um, so those that are sleeping rough or those that are um, couch surfing. But the um, the asset limit on that category is $1,300. Mm. Um, so you can't have any more than $1,300. Um, the really heartbreaking thing for our service is that the most um, applications that we do are in that category. So we, you know, we are saying that people are really down to you know, pension to, to, to pension in, in most cases or benefit to, to benefit. Um, you also have to be supported by a support service. So that's one of the hoops you have to jump through that you meet that um, criteria, not only housing criteria, but the, ha- but the program criteria that the service is actually running. Um, so it's not as if you can just go and apply because you're homeless. And, um, you, you have to, you have to be sort of, um, committed to a, you know, sort of a housing plan with the service. And the second highest category does allow you to have $30,000 in assets, which is the same as general housing. Um, But again, you have to be supported by a designated support program. So you need to be fitting into um, having the things that are wrong with you to be able to receive those, those services. So it's really quite restrictive. So what sort of things are they? Um, well, living the one, the second category, um, living in unsuitable housing, so that um, so that's in terms of how you um, maybe can't access the bathroom because you know the shower over the bath, and you have some kind of disability, or um, you know just in terms of, of ageing, um, really to do with physical um, layout of um, of properties, really. Um, that you haven't been able to sustain um, tenancies in the in the past, so you might have had multiple tenancies that, um, for whatever reason, you haven't been able to to continue with, um, or that you're um, if you're over that thirteen hundred dollar um, asset limit, but under the thirty thousand, that if you you can be homeless, but you haven't been able to access other housing for, for whatever reason and a lot of that is discrimination by real estate agents who really don't, you know, really aren't um, looking for single older people or, or couples on, on benefits really. Mm. Your point about the, the shower over the bath point, I mean, the people with some mobility disabilities or whatever, I mean they, they must be even harder to house for those sort of reasons. Well, certainly in the in the private sector and even in the social housing sector, because um, a lot of the, their properties aren't um, purpose built; they they've built um, bought off the plans, or it's um, um, perhaps properties that they have that a developer. You know, there, there might have been um, an agreement where a developer has had to build so many um, for affordable housing, but it doesn't mean that they're building them um, in terms of disability standards. 
Um, so really, the only option, and it is a good option, because the, the um, Office of Housing and the Government do do a really good job in terms of um, accessible um, units. They're, they're all built to, to standard. So if we had someone in that situation, we I mean, it's really the most viable option for them would be public housing and they're the kind of applications we do rather than, say, looking at community housing organisations. Um, the other issue with people for disabilities is that um, we have worked with uh, people who um, living in public housing where their existing properties become unsuitable because if they've um, become un unwell or some other issue is a, is a reason. And a lot of those are people that have lived in public housing, you know, sort of 40 50 years often we we, um, we we have quite a few of those people but their properties have never been modified and the department will do those works but um, with some of the social housing providers that we've worked with where people have actually needed those modifications they've either refused or they've agreed to it but the, the tenant needs to do it at their own cost and of course mm. that's really quite prohibitive. Yeah. So we've had, we have had property offers where we've had to knock them back just because people haven't been able to you know, access them for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. On that point, arising, I think it was arising out of this whole negative giving debate, which we'll move on to in a moment, but yeah. I heard um, a spokesperson for National Shelter last night, it might have been on PM or something, um, saying that one solution was government to put more money into governments, to put more money into community housing, but there was no mention yeah. of public housing. And um, <coughs> is public housing, we, well, I know we talk about this a lot, but public housing does seem to be getting totally lost in the whole debate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we, before Christmas, we, we were talking about that um, the Victorian Minister of Housing, Martin Foley, who, you know, campaigned on uh, the retention of public housing. He, he has a very big public housing constituent um, constituency and uh, certainly a lot of people in his area had um, lobbied him beforehand about their fears, this is public tenants, about their fears of their tenancies being transferred over to um, community housing providers. Um, at the time, he said that, uh, you know, the Labor government would, um, you know, stop the wholesale sell-offs, um, which includes transfers, um, but he's very publicly, and they're, they're working now, the department's working at the moment on um, how to transfer, um, I think they were saying at least 75% of um, stock titles over to social housing providers. And that's without consulting with public tenants if that's what, you know, they, they want their tenancies transferred because um, I think they should um, be allowed to vote on that once all the information is out and that, and knowing what the difference between the two, the two um, models of housing are. Mm. So that's, that's um, really disappointing. Okay, negative gearing. It's been in the news this week. Uh, lots of, of all, figures. what is it? Yeah, just, yeah best, best, best your thoughts on it, April, on the whole debate, the way it's been conducted. Oh, well, just... Um you mean in terms of whether negative gearing? Yeah, right. perhaps perhaps for those who might perhaps pick up Corey's point, maybe just explain very quickly what it is. But I think most people know. But just let us, yeah, give us a quick rundown. Well, I guess really, really basically, when you can, um, the the cost of um, your investment is uh, runs into the negative, so costs you more than um, than what you've invested, and then you can write that you can claim that loss as um, on on your tax. So you get it as a tax break. Hmm. So basically, you get you're getting back um, in tax what um, what you've lost on a capital investment. 
Does, okay. that, does that make yep. sense? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, of course, you're getting the rent and making money out of it as well. I mean, that's why you as do well. it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, the, and the argument um, of, about keeping negative gearing and why no, no government's ever... Um, you know, touched it, they run that argument, particularly if it's about negative gearing investment in property, is that it's a large percentage of the rental market and if you actually took it away, um, then we, you know, they're saying, well, we really would have a housing crisis that it would put rents up and um, people would sell, like, if you're not able to get the tax break, then what's in it for you? <laughs> Which is exactly right about why, the, um, you know, private investors shouldn't be in the and the private market shouldn't be providing shelter for people because mm. um, it is that it is that volatile. But um, I suppose what we've always said is that um, if you looked at the the tax breaks and the amount of money that government puts in um, in those kind of um, investments. Um, which is, you know, billions and billions of dollars, you could solve the housing crisis, um, you know, very, very quickly and very easily if you put that money into capital works and provided housing. In fact, just what the money that you mean, the money that goes out on negative gearing yes, should be spent yes. on public housing, good God. <laughs> That's right. And not only, well, and, and public housing, but freeing public you know, freeing up the system in terms mm. of accessibility so that you don't make it that people that um, are in the worst circumstances are the only ones accessing it. You open it up because they always argue it costs so much to, you know, to run. So you open it up to other income groups as well. So, mm. if you, so you, you build on the on the pool of revenue. Um, and, and I think particularly young people now, no matter what you do with negative gearing, they're there is still a large majority of young people that are never going to achieve um, home ownership and but can't continue to pay the rents they, they are, particularly because, as you said before, Kevin, wages are still really quite low, um, are, are also candidates for, for public housing. Yeah, and they get very confused because at, at the start of the week they said this is going to put up the cost of housing and hurt the poor. Isn't that terrible? And then by yesterday, many of them were saying, this is awful, it's going to... It's going to Make make housing a lot cheaper. It's going to send down the prices, and a, a, our investment will lose. Um, so I wish they'd sort themselves at least sort themselves out and get their story right. Yeah, yeah but and I mean that's just the, the whole how muddled the whole housing debate is. But you know the bottom line is that um, we have more and more homelessness, and we have more and more people that. Um, you know, struggling with um, unaffordable rents and unaffordable mortgages as well, and um, the impact that that's actually having on their on their lives. Um, for the people we work with, older people, you know, it's um, obvious. But I, I think for young people who have to put off, you know, uh, making the decision about having a family, um, people that do have families, what those children actually miss out on. Mm. Um, in terms of what could be if people were paying, you know, twenty twenty five percent of their income on their housing costs, and um, you know, um, them being able to to live, um, you know, quite a um, ordinary <laughs> but, but decent standard of living is is what we need to achieve. Because mm. everyone and forgets that... about if you're just doing that to put the, the roof over your head, then it's what 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 people are going without. Um, and we've talked before for, for the group that we work with that's often medication, um, good good food. Um, you know, a lot of people that are relying on, you know, charities and eating, you know, at, um, at you know, communal food kitchens, 
and that might be good in one sense that we're all coming together to, to share meals and the like. But um, if that's what you're having to do to to rely on a meal a day, um, it's um, really quite unacceptable. Hmm. And also, you've got kids growing up with poor housing stock. You know, that could, you know, for example, if it affects their health, it can also affect their education. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, days, days off school. Yeah, and it's not that education's free um, in this country anymore either. I mean, just the, you know, really, um, the mandatory um, schooling system that you have to put your kids through um, costs families thousands of dollars a year. It's mm. um, so they they really struggle with that as well. There, you know, there aren't free uniforms, there aren't free books, and free excursions mm. and and the like. So people people are really burdened and. And I mean that's even without looking at. Um, I, I think one of the the things that um, is people are really struggling with as well because you know their other costs are really high is utilities. Um, mm. The cost of utilities now is just really prohibitive. And um, I was trying to say the other day just if, if um, anyone was still publishing the disconnection rates, um, but I couldn't couldn't find it anywhere because I, I think that that must be right. Some of the bills that I've seen to you know some of our um, clients that come in are, are, and we're not talking about you know they're you know some of them have been over summer where they've had to run they're not running air conditioning but they're running fans and um and you need to do that and as you said Corey, people are in really bad thermal quality housing so um if you don't do that in this country people perish mm. so yeah, that's an issue we need to look at in this program in the next few weeks, actually, because there's been a fair bit about smart meters as well and electricity prices overall and all that sort of thing, and it's a big issue. Um, people's water... Yeah. I've I really noticed that Peter, people's water bills um, are, are really high, and, of course, some of that, that's the, the charges, but the tariffs... Mm. Are, they are. I mean, I paid one last week, which I think I paid 200 and something last week, and the, the actual water usage was minimal. Yeah, and it's not that you've got the botanic gardens, your garden's botanic gardens at the front, but you're out there. And Kevin doesn't even wash. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I am minimal use, let me tell you. Your garden is looking bad, but but you get what I mean. It's sort of like people aren't uh, sort of out there running the hose or or going out. It's sort of basic to me, isn't it? Bloody terrible. <laughs> all right. Well, the other, just uh, one thing you said in that course of all that was also late last year we did talk to Kate Shaw, you know, who's planner and geographer at Melbourne, about her experience recently in Germany and how public housing there is taken as the norm, or rental housing anyway, and, and in the landlords there's a whole different situation. But it seems to me that that's what ought to happen, that you start seeing that as the norm rather than the, you know, the, the quarter-acre block philosophy unfortunately that we have here in Australia. Yes and that was the idea that um, you know that, that um, introducing social housing into to Australia would, would bring about but um, but but again because it's um, one it's still a very small pool but um, again it's that um, government withdrawing from the subsidies that it provides that sector and um, and not putting any money in, so it's never it's never going to to work unless government really um, becomes committed to to being a housing provider and um, seeing that that's a you know a principle that um, citizens should should have, I guess. Mm. And just um, moving on in the few minutes left, um, you'll be pleased to know you probably saw it yourself. There's been a an ad running around in papers in the last two or three weeks 
for the Melbourne Retirement Village Expo. Oh, Dis- yes. Discover the joy of retirement living, visit, yes. etc. the Retirement Village. And in the <laughs> corner it says it's free admission, so you can actually get in free to see what you can pay them for. Oh, Isn't that wonderful? And the bottom corner says, proudly supported by Stockland, it's yes. your place. So does that mean they actually give it to you? No, and not only do you... So it's not your place. No, not only... not This is um, the great... Um, yeah, again, the government should be ashamed that people in their retirement are needing to go into these kind of um, schemes, developer schemes, and um, so retirement villages and the type that would be, um, you know, plugging their wares at that kind of expo... Uh, particularly the residential parks. So not only do you pay, um, you know, pay for the dwelling, but do you pay for the privilege of, of living there? So that you know they they charge rents and there's a whole. And we talked about it before. Jeff, in particular, um, talked about uh, it's a, it's all in the provider's favour, of course, and all the restrictions that you have about about living there. And um, the the work that one of our working groups has done at, at Hag has brought some legislative change. But we're still campaigning on that because there's a long way to go. So there's lots of traps for, for young players in, um, if you were looking at that sector. So if anyone's listening and you're thinking going to the expo, certainly give um, Hag a ring and speak to Shani or Jeff um, before you hand out your money. <laughs> it's free admission, though, April. Free yeah, admission. Yeah. Jesus, they're well, generous. You, you remember um, it, was, um, uh, it was funny something um, and they were... Uh, uh, a group all over that provided housing all over um, Australia and uh, they went broke overnight. And uh, do you think the liquidators cared about whether people had tendencies? Uh, mm. No. <laughs> so um, people people did actually lose them, apart from losing their money, became homeless as well. Mm. Um, so all it's right. sort of all yeah, no responsibility. Be careful. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up there on that. Cheerful, cheerful note. Thanks for coming on to the show, April. No worries. Thank you. Okay, April, and we'll catch up on the third Wednesday next month. Yeah, no worries. How's how's your retirement going, by the way? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I was saying before. Like, it's probably work to bring it. I'm really pissed off about the pension age not being fixed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There you are. Keep working, April. Keep working. Yeah, I hope it keeps going up for you. (laughs) Okay, Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Okay, April Bragg there, Housing for the Aged Action Group. And um, next week, Corey, it's... Um, nuclear. It's nuclear. It's Dave, Dave Sweeney. Sweeney and, um, I'm from the Australian one. Conservation Foundation. Exactly. And um, have yeah. a good week. Great. And the time's 9.57. You've got to thank yourself. Oh, r- r- thank um, yourself. Thank you myself for yeah, pressing good. the buttons. That's it. And thank you for preparing the content. <laughs> and the time's now 9.58. You're listening to 3CR.org, uh, 3cr.org.au. 3CI855AM. Uh, this is City Limits, and we're going to listen to True Trans Soul Rebel by Against Me. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.